1: Do you miss the days when all the answers to life's big questions could be found in the juicy pages of Dolly Doctor? Sex, friendships, relationships, family, life stuff. Dolly gave us total honesty with zero judgment. We learned that it wasn't weird to masturbate, like a lot, and that periods can sometimes be tricky, unpredictable things. We talked about what to do when we had a crush on someone and how to get over relationship breakups. Having Dolly to turn to made all that teenage angst a bit more bearable. Adulthood was around the corner. We would all get our shit together, move to the city to become big-time businesswomen and sleep with Harrison Ford, like Melanie Griffiths in Working Girl. Was that just me? Life was happening, and then we all grew up and realised that everything is still confusing. Welcome to the Big Sister Hotline, presented weekly by me, Clementine Ford, This is your place to ask all the questions you still don't know the answers to about sex, friendships, relationships, family and life stuff with the kind of frank advice you could expect to find from the person who loves you most, your big sister. Because life isn't easy and sometimes we all need a big sister to call on. Hello, dear listeners, guys, gals and non-binary pals. You're listening to The Big Sister Hotline, a weekly podcast offering frank, funny and feminist advice on life, love And whether or not you should break up with your no-good Nick boyfriend. Spoiler. The answer is always yes. The Big Sister Hotline is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty of these lands has never been ceded. I pay my respects to elders past and present. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. And Black Lives Matter. You might have noticed that the hotline didn't broadcast an episode last week, and this was in part because I didn't want to take up valuable airtime or conversational space. I've also been thinking about how I can, as Brandon K. Good spoke on this week, move away from being a quote-unquote good ally to being an effective ally. And while I don't have any concrete answers just yet, I wanted to reassure listeners of the Big Sister Hotline that these are all things I'm looking at seriously and critically right now, and that I will hopefully have more structural answers to very soon. Now one of the wonderful things about a global uprising taking place in the 21st century is that we can all be instantly connected via social media. Without undermining the ongoing existence of structural gatekeeping, on the whole there are voices and perspectives available to millions of people now that we can discover in an instant. And that's where this week's guest on the hotline comes in. I've been following her on Instagram for a little while now, although she actually is very, very new to this particular Account. And I absolutely love her fierce and unapologetic take on feminism, the taking up of space, and using her voice to loudly challenge and confront the abuses perpetrated by misogyny and racism. Under the moniker of Loud Bossy Gross, she writes In all the ways the world wants to ostracize me, I say, fuck it. I will not be silenced. I love myself fiercely. I will fight for what's right. I will take up space. I will be messy. I will be free. I will be shameless. I will be rebellious. I will be loud. Bossy and gross, Laura. Welcome to the hotline. Hello, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. Also from England, Norfolk, where yes. I uh, I spent a couple of years in my teenage teenagehood, my terrible, uh, awful adolescence. How was your adolescence? <laughs>
0: Um, well, Norfolk uh, is very white, very, very white. Yes, it is. And especially in the town that I live in, I've noticed that, you know, there's there's no one that looks like me around here. Only a handful, I'd say, really. But um, it's weird to kind of be the minority. I guess I'm always the minority, but especially here, because I used to live in Essex, where mm. there are loads of black people. Um, And now living in Norfolk where there's like hardly any and I'm just doing my weekly shopping Sainsbury's and people are kind of like giving me the side eye, looking at me funny. It's kind of like I'm not used to this at all. Um, And that's something I'm having to get accustomed to.
1: I'm conscious about, you know, as I as I said to you uh, in our Instagram messages as well, I'm very conscious about. This being in particular uh, a time in which a lot of people are demanding labor from you, and uh, you know yes. we can talk about the implications of that as well. But I I don't want you to feel in any way that you're here to be the expert on racism because of course that's your life, and uh, mm. I yeah I definitely am very conscious about not creating that extra labor for you. But just in terms of living in a very white location in a in a in a country really that is still grappling with and still very resistant to addressing its colonial I mean you say things like colonial history about England but it's it's kind of like undersourcing the pudding a little bit with that because England's white supremacy exercised all over the world has been so significant in terms of the construction of white supremacy and the heralding of it and the maintenance of it and yet as I've mm. read you know other um, writers of colour talk about uh because, because a lot of that empire building happened, in, you know, in very colonialist, colonialist ways, a lot of people in England like to think that they're not really a part of it. They're not really part of the structures of racism.
0: It's absolutely not true. Every single human being contributes to racism in one way or another, whether it's conscious or mm-hmm. subconscious. Everyone's part of the system. So anyone who thinks, oh, well, I'm not part of it. I'm not like them. I'm not like, I'm not a police officer killing black people. I'm not, you know, being overtly racist, but by not being overtly racist, but by being passively quiet, you're contributing to racism. Mm.
1: On one of the previous episodes of the Big Sister Hotline with uh, Faustina Agoli, we talked about that uh, notion of goodness versus not good that, so many people still are very keen to kind of dig into. And we're going to get into, one of the, into this with one of the questions later as well, particularly in terms of patriarchy and misogyny and how there are distinct parallels between that. One of the things that we talked about was this kind of reduction that people have to good versus bad and how that allows us as white people to prevent ourselves from really being engaged with the solution and, and recognising our complicity in the system.
0: Yeah, um, something I've realised as I've been getting older is that everything has a nuance to it. There is a grey area to everything. Nothing is ever binary. There is nothing. There is never black or white. Um, there's so much dimension, and there's so much, I guess, facets to every situation, to every crevice of life. Um, and anyone who thinks. Oh, I'm not bad, so I must be mm. good is wrong um because you could be somewhere in the middle you could be not doing anything um which is not necessarily being bad, but it's not being a good ally either it's not it's not doing as well as you could be it's not you're not in the good category you're you're like lingering in the middle somewhere which i i often find can be even worse than someone who's just blatantly racist um to just hang in the middle because it's like well you don't hate me but you're not actually making an effort to show that you support me either Mm. Um, which is really annoying
1: yeah and I feel like uh, you know, Rachel Cargill was posting on her Instagram today um, about how she was saying that one of the only ways that she finds it possible to get through to white women, and she was obviously being, you know, there was there was a definite and totally fucking understandable tone of frustration there, but was to frame it as, well, think about it like the patriarchy. You can understand it when we talk about the patriarchy, so it's exactly, you know, the parallels are the same. And one of the things that I think that, um, you know, I can notice as well is that, and, and I've sort of felt in my dealings with men over the years in terms of me speaking out about patriarchy and about misogyny is that sometimes I feel like I, I feel more comfortable almost around the people who are just overtly misogynistic because I know what they're about. you know, I know yes, what they think exactly. and they're kind of almost honest about it. But it's the people who are trying to hide it who or who was, who know how to say the right things or who refuse to kind of acknowledge the ways that they behave towards women um that I I feel more uh, you know distrust towards because they they feel to me a bit more dangerous because you can't because they want to have it both ways
0: yeah that's so true um it's called like a pink bow feminism, where you'll, you'll choose all like pink bow misogyny or pink bow racism, where you'll choose the parts that sound good, that look good, and that suit you and that suit your own ideals and beliefs. But the parts that make you uncomfortable, the parts that you don't want to interact with, the parts that you don't want to even acknowledge because they actually conflict with their own beliefs that you present to the world um and that's that's literally it you can't you can't pick and choose which parts of my race that you like or which parts of my gender that you like and then say oh but i'm a i'm i I love racial equality i love feminism but you don't you love you love your own version of feminism you love your own Ideals and your own smarts, which isn't inclusive, it's not intersectional, and it quite frankly doesn't make any sense
1: (laughs) or any difference.
0: No, exactly.
1: It's that, it's that, it doesn't make
0: any difference.
1: Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's the, um, I think that this is, you know, the, the ways in which, particularly the tone policing that occurs around any kind of social justice movement, and obviously you get it twofold because you get it from. You know, you get it from men in terms of tone policing around patriarchy and you get it from white people in terms of tone policing around racism. But the tone policing of I will only listen to you if you present it to me in a way that is palatable to me, it's not just about forcing the people speaking into, you know, roles of being polite. And oh, but politeness is such a weird construct anyway. But, but in terms of it, p- forcing them into roles of being passive, I guess is a better way of putting it. But I've always felt that, um, again, through the lens of patriarchy and, you know, talking about misogyny, I've always felt that what men are looking for when they demand that I'm polite to them about it, you know, or when they say Ugh. things like, if you don't present your message in a palatable way, then you'll lose allies. is like, well, firstly, you weren't a fucking ally to begin with. If that's if if your allyship is contingent upon me being nice to you, then it's very flimsy. But also, it feels to me like what people are looking for, and what men in those scenarios are looking for, is a way for them to turn up and say, "Yep, I'm here. I'm a I'm a you know going back to that idea of good versus bad. I'm a good guy. I'm here. I've done my part." But also, I need you to excuse me and absolve me of responsibility because I want to be able to pat myself on the back for being here. But I want to then walk away and do fuck all afterwards to actually change anything. And I need you to give me permission to do that. And if you don't give me permission to do that, then I'm going to blame you for it. And I'm going to pretend that the problem is yours rather than one of my own. Um, that rather than a problem of my own laziness and my own unwillingness to actually give up the structural power that I hold.
0: Exactly. And that's why race issues aren't just about race. They're about gender. They're about so, it's so complex. It's so dense. Um, And I've realized recently um, since starting Loud Bossy Gross, that I have to speak in the language of analogy constantly all of the time. Because if I just say my point in a very, I guess, blase, a normal way. Everyone's like, but I I don't get it. I don't understand what you mean. But, like, as soon as I, like, oh, but, like, this parallel universe analogy, hypothetical, and everyone's like, ah, I get it now. And that That drives me crazy because it's like, so you want me to make it really simple and small and you want to make it all like you want me to put it in a pretty package for you and then you understand me. And that's kind of like any black woman listening to this or any just woman in general will be able to relate to having to simplify yourself into the most boring, watered down, just one-dimensional version of yourself to be understood, to be accepted, to receive any kind of love or validation from the world, um, and I, I really want to challenge that. I really want to conquer that. I really want, I really want people, women all over the world, to understand that you don't have to make yourself into this really just meh person. You can be hard hitting. You can say things very I guess controversially like you can be all of these things you don't have to be the nice one um I don't I don't like nice I I don't like being nice because what does that even mean like for me that's just you're not being anything you're you're just going with the wind you're just following trends you're just you're not standing for anything
1: well you're easy to swallow
0: you exactly. Know. That's it. Pe- A lot of people like to round their edges because they'll be easier to ju- uh, digest mm. to the world. Mm.
1: And uh, yeah, so I want to go, I want to talk more about the impetus, I guess, for starting your Instagram account, Loud Bossy Gross, because I said in the introduction that it's relatively young. And what I mean by that is that it's only 28 posts old. So you sort of like blew into my life on Instagram and I was I started watching your videos and I mean they had the they had the effect on me that I hope you're going for which is who is this woman and where has she been all my life (laughs) um but but yeah I was surprised to to see that it's quite a new account so what what kind of what made you sit up one day and go, "Fuck it, I'm starting an account and I'm going to celebrate being loud, bossy, and gross i'm going to take back all the words that people have used against me, and I'm going to embody them and I'm going to make a difference
0: yeah. Um, It was last year um, at the end of August, I found out that my ex was cheating on me and me being me, I was like, oh, no one's ever going to cheat on me. I'm just amazing. I'm gorgeous and fabulous. I was really like in that mindset. I was quite delusional, like I could never be cheated on. And then I got cheated on. We went to holiday um, in Wales together, literally the week after we get back, I find I find out that he's been cheating on me the whole time, four months. Um, uh. And so going back a few years, I was the ultimate people pleaser, the ultimate people pleaser. Um, I was just a pushover. I didn't stand up for myself. Um, I never got what I wanted because I didn't speak up for myself. I used to just... Watched the world go by. I had no backbone, nothing. No self-esteem, no confidence. Like, it was just a bad situation in my eyes. Um, And then, so I went through all of these, like, rocky self-esteem patches. This here, like, I I couldn't even, I couldn't even go into town. Because I had to, like, look down and, like, put my hood over my face. Because I didn't, I couldn't stand people looking at my face, even. Mm. And then... I find out my ex was cheating on me last year. And then something just snapped in my brain. Something just clicked. And I was like, what have I even been doing? What am I actually doing? Like, I just, it was like a light bulb moment, like a eureka moment. Um, And I was just like, I have to change. Something has to change. And from that day, it was the 1st of September, 2019. I just went on this journey constantly every single day just grinding out like um self-help books um confidence books insecurity books um i started doing like exercises i started like going out and like doing random things in the streets like build up my confidence it was really like and i'm still on the journey now it was still it was a really um hard journey but it was so rewarding because every single day I would see my confidence grow I would see my self-esteem grow I could talk I could start talking to people I could start going out into shops instead of having to buy everything online um and that's how this whole journey started for me and I got really bored because I was like in quarantine lockdown I was like oh but all of these creators are doing amazing and I was like hang on a minute I can do that. Like, why am I why am I getting upset about not being able to do it? I could literally just start an Instagram account now mm. and start it. And then I went through loads of usernames. I was like, oh, but I don't like that. Don't like that. Don't like that. And then I realised, loud bossy gross. So that's something that everyone used to call me i was i'm rude i'm loud and bossy oh that's disgusting you're gross i was like you know what i am loud bossy and gross i actually love it so i i um, typed that in and i realized it hadn't been taken so i was like brilliant and then i just um i uploaded my first video on that day and yeah that's the journey now
1: <laughs> i'm just gonna play that first video I find it really funny When
0: guys are like, you're really attractive, or like, you're gorgeous, thinking that it's somehow going to sway me into wanting to be with them. It's like, yeah, you should find me attractive. That part's just obvious. What else?
1: I mean, don't you just think sometimes that, uh, and this is one of the things that I think that you will be doing such powerful work for, for young women in particular, is that It's, like, you look at, I, I mean, how old are you now? So I'm
0: 19 no.
1: What? <laughs> yeah. Are
0: you kidding? <laughs> I'm 19.
1: <laughs> I'm actually speechless because the idea that I could have had some of those revelations at 19 is so fucking out there and astonishing to me. <laughs> I'm... Well, firstly, congratulations. Um, And also, God, you've just saved yourself like 10, 20 years in some people's cases. Yeah. 10, 20 years of not getting there. You know, this is is what I think is so – my observation of people who are responding – you know, people I see who are responding to your videos as your audience grows is that it seems like quite – uh, when I say obvious i don 't mean that the videos themselves are obvious, but it seems like obvious information that we should have. It seems like yeah. obvious information we should have been equipped with as women that patriarchy fucks us all over, and that it forces us to right. behave in certain ways to appeal to the male gaze whether or not we're whether or not we think we appeal to men as individuals, of course, we all live under the the omnipresent male gaze, and we're so conditioned into appealing to it. Mm. It took me a long time to really begin to even understand all of that and even once I had understood it, to really engage with the work of liberating myself from it. So the fact that you are doing that at 19 is (laughs) very promising.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I really have hope for this generation because I'm seeing how young women, teenagers are taking to what I'm doing and it's like, yes. We're not going to lose it. We've we've picked up the bad end. We're going to run with mm. it. We've got this. And when you have these realisations, you're like, duh, I should have known this the whole time. And I'm I'm just, I like to think that I'm quite fortunate to have had these realisations now and not when I'm like, you know, 40 with two children and Absolutely. like this kind of situation yeah it's it's really your job to teach the people around you how to treat you we like we don't go to school to learn oh this is how you uh, teach people how to treat you that's something we have to learn and that's something we have to go out into the world and assert people have to know that when you walk into the room when you are when you're about people can't take the piss out of you people can't mess you about people can't you know run all over you, they have to know that you're somebody who won't have it. And honestly, the day I had that realization, the day I realized it was my job to teach people how to treat me, everything changed because I would walk into rooms, I would walk it out of my house, I would walk into my work and people would respond to me differently because I wouldn't have bullshit anymore. I I decided that I would no longer tolerate bullshit and people responded to that so like if you think okay i'm not going to tolerate bullshit anymore people will think oh okay loud bossy gross doesn't tolerate bullshit so i won't give her bullshit and it's kind of like a domino effect
1: well i mean in theory i think that that can be true but there are definitely some people who will say, well, loud, bossy, gross won't take bullshit. So I'm going to pile bullshit on her. And so the, the addendum that I would offer to that from my own kind of experience and perspective is that um, make it clear to people, the standards that you will accept for your own treatment. And if they refuse to accord to those standards, then don't be afraid to get rid of them.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I've actually never thought of it like that way. Um, and that can, that can definitely be true. Um, but f- Personally, my experience, the minute I started placing boundaries, I, start, um, I started setting my standards extremely high. People just kind of went up to that level without me even having to say anything because people will just respond to the aura that you present. Um, I can definitely understand how people might want to challenge that and actually be like, oh, yo, let's, uh, let's give her more bullshit. Um, but personally, for me, that's never mm. happened.
1: Well, I think it's probably quite obvious in some people's, like, romantic relationships because, you know, again, Mm. one of the things that I'm often asked from women who are partnered with men is, you know, how these are feminist women who want to be engaged in social justice and they they come and they say, you know, how do I make my husband respect feminism or how do I get my husband to not treat this like a joke? And my response is always dump him. Because if he doesn't respect yes. you he doesn 't respect <laughs> yes. your existence, then what are you going to do with that i mean it 's a very it 's a very flippant response, and I do acknowledge that, and I say that to them I know that it 's not as simple as that, but you have mm-hmm. to have a standard for what you will tolerate in your own personal life and yes like with the caveat that of course there are circumstances in which it is not easy for women to walk away from relationships and it can often be dangerous for women to walk away from relationships i am not speaking to those women i am speaking to Mm -hmm. the women whose husbands are just lazy who treat them (laughs) with disrespect who as you know happened to you and happens to so many fucking women all over the place cheat on them and think that somehow you know the domestic Service that their wives and their female live-ins offer them, and I say that deliberately because I've I've decided to stop using the word partners because so often men do not exemplify what it means to be a partner, and I don't right. think they should be allowed to be called that word. Um, so, I think that that a lot of for a lot of women, a portion of their distress at living under patriarchy comes from the fact that that outwardly in their in their public lives they espouse feminist ideals and I have personal experience of this I know of what I speak um Mm. but outwardly in their in their public lives they espouse feminist values and then in their private lives they're navigating uh microaggressions and disrespect and trying to figure out like well how do I stay in this situation where this person clearly has no fucking respect for my existence
0: yeah, that's just digestible feminism. The men who go out there saying like, "Who? Oh, it's okay to wear pink. It's this. It's this. It's it's performative. It's empty. It's hollow. You're you're just doing it for likes on the gram. You're just you're just doing it so you can get kudos from girls at work or whatever. It's it's fake and it's really detectable if you actually really concentrate and look hard you can suss it out you can suss when a man is a real feminist uh, like a a real feminist um and when he's just doing it to perform i have
1: Um, a a pretty hard and fast rule on online dating apps is that i generally swipe left swipe left is the bad one right or when you get rid of them i swipe left on any men who need People reading their profiles to know just how feminist they are. I'm always like suspicious. Oh,
0: go on, give me examples of what oh, you mean. Oh, like
1: when they say like when when white cis men call themselves intersectional feminists on OK Cupid, <laughs> maybe they are. I'm not saying that they can't be. I just feel like I uh, I just think that it's a thing that a lot of guys think to say because they think that it will get them, you know positive accolades and cookies and it's sort of I feel like as well they think well this will make me seem safe Mm. but you know I'm a 38 year old cynic so
0: Yeah, they know that all of these women who are probably really into feminism, they want to smash the patriarchy, they're going to be there. They're going to be looking at their profiles. So they are going to dress it up. They're going to be on their best behavior. They are going to be in tip top shape. So you go and swipe right. So then they can shag you and then dump you and then get rid of you and never speak to you again. It's all about sex they want sex so they're gonna pink bow feminism they're gonna do all of these performative things because they're like right okay women are in this space i need to perform for the women and like when a, when a white straight cis male says stuff like I'm an intersectional feminist I instantly think well you must be bullshitting me because the whole system is built for you (laughs) you're crazy
1: so the perfect response and this is for anyone listening as well if a man trying to date you tells you that he's a feminist say cool what do you do what do you do for feminism
0: (laughs) Because him. Yeah, exactly. he's got him. it's gotta be
1: more than just saying he's a feminist. And I actually feel this I said this to Faustina as well. I feel this similar sort of mm, uh opposition's the wrong word but and suspicion's the wrong word too, but I mean personally I don't call myself an intersectional feminist, not because I don't aspire to intersectional feminism, but because I feel like it's not something that you can actually just claim. I feel like it's something that you have to show through your actions. Yes, And it seems to me like a lot of people want to say it, but, th- and that's it? Like, that's the extent of it?
0: You know, well, yeah, I'm, like, oh, well I am well, this. Well, it sounds good. It look, uh, feminism looks really good in my, my bio when I hashtag it on Instagram. Or, and maybe, I'm and not saying like, that
1: they don't even that they don't genuinely believe that and maybe and maybe they do espouse all those values it just i don't know it feels like show show this and this is the way that i feel about men who call themselves feminists don't call yourself a feminist show me you're a feminist
0: yes display your feminism through your actions yeah. give me money open your purse <laughs> pay me like put put me on your big show Show me that you're feminist. Show show me that you're about me. Yeah. Don't just say, oh, I'm a feminist. Like, I am really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, no, a, f- no I'm no. a feminist, <laughs> but
1: all of the books I read are by men.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or oh, I, re- I read one feminist book. I read... Uh, You know, we should all be feminists. Yeah, now that does not, like, that is not, I have lots of uh, success criteria, right? You're ticking one box at the moment. (laughs) Like, I want to see you fill out all 10, all 20 boxes. Otherwise, you just don't count. Like, they're like, oh, but I've I've done this one thing. Not good enough. you you got to try harder.
1: you got to try harder, dudes. Anyway, should we get on with the questions? Yeah, let's go. Please note my disclaimer in very... Big flashing lights that neither Laura nor I are doctors, counselors <laughs> or professionally trained sex therapists. We're exactly just, We're just two women who like to use the gram to spread feminist <laughs> messages everywhere. <laughs> Hi, big sisters. I'm in a bit of a pickle and I'm sick of being in my own head and feel too ashamed to speak about, to anyone about this, but I really need some advice. I've been with my boyfriend for eight years and he is truly wonderful, so supportive, loving, interesting and just an all-round legend. However, a few months ago I was out, pre-coronavirus, with some old friends and I reconnected with a friend I hadn't seen for many years. We spent most of the weekend talking and I felt myself feeling very attracted to him. He must have felt the same and he kissed me. I stopped it and didn't let it go further, but I really, really enjoyed kissing him. This is the first time in eight years I've looked at anyone in that way other than my boyfriend. Ever since, I've been able to think of little else, and I find myself thinking about him a lot. I haven't seen him since, but we've been messaging, just friendly for the most part. With restrictions starting to ease, he's asked if I want to hang out. I don't know what to do because I would love to spend some time with him, but I feel like I shouldn't. I just turned 30 and feeling like I should just be content with what I have and not be hanging out with other people. I'm still in love with my boyfriend and I don't want to break up with him, but I also have weird feelings for this guy. Do you think it's possible to love someone and like someone else at the same time? And also, should I hang out with him? And lastly, am I a bad person? Laura
0: oh babes you're settling you're actually settling whilst you whilst you're reading that clementine i just thought oh no like she's falling into the trap there's this trap that we're told to believe that we must stay like the person we get with when we're 21 years old we must stay with them till the day we die Mm -hmm. and it's it's actually not true to be quite frank with you if you decide one day if you have if you've got married at the age of 21 and you get to like 30 and you decide you don't want to be with this person anymore you have to divorce them like point blank period you must divorce them i i won't i don't have a lot of tolerance for settling at all um because it's kind of like but why why are you doing it who are you trying to appease who are you trying to get you know respect from by settling in this very unhappy marriage by staying with this boyfriend that you actually don't want to be with anymore i'm a Mm. huge advocate for just dumping him just just don't don't be with someone you don't want to be with because you're guilty. You, you feel guilty about getting rid of him.
1: Well, I, I mean, you know, you know that I am also a big advocate of the just dump him line of right. advice. You know, I'm I in fact I say it to almost everyone who, who writes in and asks questions about what they should do with their boyfriend. I'm like, dump him, get rid of him. Um, but with this one, I think it is. Uh, I, I I don't know that I would nec- necessarily say to this lovely little sister that she should just dump her boyfriend. But mm. I do think it's a good good time and a good opportunity to open up a conversation, not just between you and me and the listeners here, but also potentially with this woman and her boyfriend, about what a relationship between the two of them could look like. Because you are absolutely correct, Laura, when you say that we are – conditioned into this belief and I don't think that men are actually conditioned into this same belief in the same way that women are it's it's women who are conditioned into this belief that the most important thing we can do is find a man to marry us it's not find a man we want to marry but find a man to marry us uh to have babies with and to settle down and become a wife and a mom and just do that for the rest of our life and that is where that way is where true happiness Lies, And that any other thing that we do beyond that, you know, whether or not we have success in our career, whether or not we write books, whether or not we create content on the internet, whether or not we just like to sit in our room and masturbate all day long, who cares? Anything we do beyond that is secondary somehow to this main big picture aspiration of finding a man to marry us and give us a baby. And I can fully appreciate as someone who, I mean, I'm 38 now and I've had a baby and my life looks very different to when I was 30 and I was starting to think about whether or not I wanted to have a baby. It feels like one of the problems that, you know, this is sort of broadening the issue out beyond this particular question, but one of the problems that we also have in, uh, you know, our very rigid patriarchal society is that there are limited... Um, there are limited options and there's a limited picture on what family can look like and that is changing slightly now and it's changing slowly particularly as queer identities become more paramount and more visible but I still think that we kind of fixate on this idea that for uh, say you're a woman who whether or not you all the time or just sometimes like to partner with cis men that and if you want to have a child, that this is the model in which we need to have a child. I don't know whether or not this particular questioner does want to have children, but this is the situation for for some women. That if you want to have a child, particularly around the time of 30, that this is the time when you need to start thinking about it because that biological clock is ticking and you're not going to have your eggs forever, ladies, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And that there's no – we don't sort of talk about the fact that if you are a person who is capable of becoming pregnant and having a child, that there are myriad ways in which you could do that that are all equally as valid as each other. And that, in fact, if you are – like, as in this particular circumstance, if you're a woman who would like to have a child, you can do that completely separately from your romantic existence. You may believe that you want to do it with a man in a romantic scenario, but I can tell you from – personal experience and also from witnessing the experiences of countless women around me who have gone through that process that the romance never lives up to the hype and the reality is very different from what Hollywood sells to us. So Mm. if you could open yourself up to the possibility of like, well, I could be a parent, I could have a child or I could have a life even without children, I could have a life that is full and rich and that I dictate and that I get to be in charge of and any romance I have can be – can be somehow like, uh, uh, you know, radically different from that or slightly different from from what we're told to expect. But I think I I totally agree with you that we are in this situation where a lot of women get to 28, 29, 30, 31, that sort of period of time. And they may have been with their male partners for six plus years and they think, okay, well, I've put in all this time now, this is it. This is this yeah. is the guy. And if I leave now, if I walk away from this, then I'm letting him down and letting everyone mm-hmm. else down and I'm somehow like I'm throwing away my opportunity for happiness because they're still very much sold into this idea that happiness is provided to us by partnering with a man and living with a man.
0: Mm. And that's the trap. That's the trap she's fallen into. And that's the trap that so many women are falling into. They're so... They're so scared that if they break up with this this guy who's really doing nothing for them, that, oh, like, they're the best guy I'll ever have. I can't find anything better than this. Um, oh, what if I'm poor? What if I'm this? And it's, it's, it's quite frankly not true. All the ways a man can you know, treat you well, love you, you can do for yourself. You actually don't need a relationship in order to be treated well. No, you don't need a a relationship to have a great life. You can be single and treat yourself better than any partner possibly could. And you can be single and have a more fulfilled life than someone who goes out with different guys every single week. Um, And my big thing is that you're the main source of your happiness. It it literally cannot, it's not even that you shouldn't let it happen, but it literally cannot come from anybody else. It must come from you within. And it sounds really cheesy and cliche, but it's cliche for a reason.
1: I want to kind of defend the boyfriend a little bit in this scenario, only because she's, she has made a point of saying, He's very supportive, loving, interesting. He's an all-around legend. I truly do love him and I feel happy with her. So I don't, I don't get the sense that she's dissatisfied with her relationship, but she is questioning whether or not her attraction to another man means there's something wrong with the relationship. And I want to kind of drill into that and say that absolutely not. Like you are a human being. Clearly, with you know, a sexuality, and it is totally normal and natural, not just for you, but for anyone in any situation, whether or not you've been going out with someone for a week, or whether or not you've been going out with them for 10 years, or whether or not you've been married to them for 50 years. It's completely yeah. normal for you, if you are a sexual creature, to be sexually attracted to numerous other people along the way. And it's yes. actually fine for you to want to be fulfilled by that.
0: It's okay, yeah. It,
1: maybe this woman feels guilty about the kiss. Uh, I, I personally think I mean a life is a very long thing and I don't think that anyone should let a kiss <laughs> kind of topple their house of cards for them but I do think it's a really good opportunity for uh, you know not just this woman but for anyone listening to think about what they want their romantic life to look like and have an open yes. conversation about it with their partner and say hey look what do you think about being attracted to other people? What do you think about Kissing other people. What do you think? If we want to be together for this, you know, say we want to be together forever, what does that look like for us? Can we really commit to a relationship where we are only with each other for the rest of our life? Or maybe our relationship could look a bit different to that.
0: What she might want to do um, is explore the avenue of maybe an open relationship if he's up to it, of course.
1: And definitely don't feel... Like you've don't – you're not a bad person. You're absolutely no, not a bad person for being attracted to someone not. else. For kissing someone else. But I think that well, the difference is that if you – people who set out to be d- duplicitous and conniving and, mm. and disrespectful to their partners by, by keeping secrets from them, I think that's where the trouble comes in. And that's when you make the choice to pursue something that you know would be hurtful to another person – because you can't face up to being honest with them, that it's, it's, it sort of incrementally increases the harm that you are potentially able to, per, to perpetrate against them. And it's, it's unkind, essentially. Yeah. You don't have to stay with anyone for the rest of your life. You don't sign a contract with them that, you know, you don't sign a contract in blood when you start going out with someone when you're 21. You're allowed right. to walk away. And you're a very different person at 30 than you were at 21 and you will absolutely be an almost completely different person at 40 than you were when you were 21. So think about Mm -hmm. the long-term prognosis of your life and what you want. And one thing I always remind people of is do you want to wake up at 50 or 60 or 70 and look back and go, where did I let the time go? Why did I give up all these opportunities to actually live and suck the marrow out because I wanted to like accord to some – strange, some other person's version of what like a good moral relationship looks like If you just take away one thing women listeners, don't fucking wash a man's clothes for him. I'm not doing your pants mate, like, no I'm just not doing it <laughs> But you know, you, you'll be alright little sister, just you know, hang in there <laughs> from a little brother. I'm a 22-year-old straight, white, uh, cis guy who was raised as a Catholic, but I'm working hard to free myself of that baggage. I think it's fair to say people have quote-unquote default or knee-jerk emotional responses to certain issues that can be different to their actual opinion on the topic. An example in my case is abortion. My knee-jerk emotional response is hesitant as I can't wait until I get to have children of my own. Obviously, this is a crappy and irrational thought and my real opinion is that I think women should have unrestricted access to this medical procedure. It can be difficult to try and explain an opinion that has a conflicting negative emotional response, which often gets a heated response when discussing a range of feminist and other important social issues. At times, it feels useless to bother putting in the effort and unpack these emotional responses to become a better feminist. In this podcast, your default response is to, quote-unquote, dump your boyfriend for any issues women have in the relationship – It also feels like there is a theme in many of the podcast's responses to questions, that all white cis hetero men are incapable of anything except reinforcing the patriarchy and continuing to perpetrate abhorrent acts. It does lead to a feeling of discontent, that I'm damned if I do nothing, but I'm still damned if I make positive efforts for change. The irony of this email is not lost on me. I'm not looking for a gold star. I'm not trying to criticise anyone or the work they do here on the podcast or anyone else. I'm just interested to hear what your thoughts are on this. Um. Right, so there's a, a lot in there. Um, yes. Firstly, from the outset, I will just say that uh, anyone who's capable of becoming pregnant is entitled to a uh, to control over their reproductive uh, outlook and reproductive healthcare. Abortion is healthcare. Abor- abortion is normal. Abortion should be legal, safe, and mm-hmm. freely accessible to all people. And you know, I'm really not very interested in the thoughts of. White cis straight guys on abortion at all, unless it's—it's it's really not my place to say.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand where men feel like they uh, their opinion is needed in this situation. Um, I, I just don't understand how a man can police a woman with her own body, because mm-hmm. like we wouldn't do the same with men. So why? What? Like what gave?
1: Well, we don't have the political no, power to do the, to do to, the same to cis men, you know. Um,
0: yeah.
1: But I, I, I read this question out not because I wanted to set the questioner up to be, you know, for us to kind of tear them apart, but because I thought it would be uh, – it's a good opportunity to – for any other men listening, for us as feminists to kind of do that work and you're welcome by the way but do that work for you to really kind of tease apart some of the I guess the issues that have been outlined in this or the expectations or the the feelings or whatever so I want to kind of approach it with you know a generosity of spirit um and Mm -hmm. to come to it in good faith and one of the things that I'll say is that um You know, the question of the little brother talks about knee-jerk emotional responses versus opinions, et cetera, and I did read an interesting post today about the difference between a reaction and an opinion. Of course, we all have Mm -hmm. reactions to things, but but to have an opinion, we kind of need to be – well, to have an opinion worth listening to, it needs to be an informed one, and it needs to be aware of, you know, all of the issues relating to a certain topic. And – Yeah. Um, a, a white cis man's reaction to abortion is instructive, I guess, in some ways, but it's really irrelevant to the issue of whether or not abortion should be accessible. Because, of course, abortion should be accessible. And if you, if you, uh, you know, that it's just it's it's not even it's not even an issue up for debate, as far as I'm concerned. Um,
0: yeah.
1: What I'm sensing from this question, though, is some of the same things that are kind of coming up with, uh, you know discussions around race at the moment, um, particularly and unfortunately from a lot of white women who are very willing to have conversations like this around patriarchy but not so willing to examine our own behaviour when it comes to racism. And that is that, you know, this sort of... It's like we were talking about before, Laura, about this tone policing and I feel uncomfortable at the way that you're saying things and I feel like I'm being targeted and you know he says uh, I'm not looking for a gold star or to criticize anyone but I kind of feel like oftentimes those of us in positions of power really are looking for gold stars and we might say that yeah. we're not but that's that's exactly what's happening
0: they want awards they want a medal they want a gold star pat on the back um, and they'll say I'm gonna tone you down so then I can level you and uh, puff up myself so I can fit into the space that you made for me by by making yourself small. Um, and we women, we need to start taking up space. We need to be big. We need to start sharing our opinions and not in this kind of nice way just saying what we think because the space that you're making for a man he will then overcompensate and then take up 90 percent of the space and then you're taking up 10 when it should, it should we should be taking up way more space than that like an abundance of space mm. um i in i think that a man's opinion on a woman's body and what a woman decides to do with her life it's just, it's just redundant, in my opinion. In, it, it instantly goes to the, the junk file in my brain. I'm just kind of like, oh no, no. Um, maybe yeah, it's like we don't need their permission to this. No, we don't need it. We actually don't. We've got too many other things to be worrying about uh, about our bodies and self image and self love, body positivity. We don't need a man saying, oh, but I think this because it's like, no, no, mate, no. Actually, yeah. I I disagree. I don't really need you to tell me what you think or what you don't think I should do.
1: Yeah, I think that there's something, I guess one of the things that I kind of wanted to highlight with this, again, in good faith, you know, I, I hope that the, the man who sent this in will listen to this with an open mind and an open heart. But really absorb what I'm saying as well is that um, this podcast, you're very welcome to listen to it if you're a guy. Like, please come and listen to what women talk about. But it's not for you it's not for you, you know, it's not geared towards you and your feelings, it's not there to satisfy you and if there is a part of you, which there probably is and I'm not saying that that makes you a bad person but I just think that, you know, these are the questions that we need to ask of ourselves, if there's a part of you that is tuning into this podcast because it's part of your like, well, I'm a good feminist guy and so I'm going to listen to this podcast because that's what a good feminist guy would do and... You're finding that you know you're you're then being kind of confronted with well i'm I'm now not being it's not being acknowledged that i'm the
0: good guy, yeah it's yeah. not being
1: acknowledged that of course there would be good, good men listening to this um and I'm one of them, and so why why are there no disclaimers i mean I'm doing the job of listening to you isn't that enough and those are really important questions to kind of ask yourself and and confronting ones, yes, but you know really present yourself to the challenge of what is it? What is it that I'm expecting from, you know, my engagement with this? Is this, mm-hmm. why do I feel uncomfortable about not being catered to yeah. in this space that is not for me? Yeah.
0: If if a guy's idea of feminism is supposed to, a cute feminist quote on his page, like say hashtag smash the patriarchy and then go home and then shag his girlfriend and then pay no attention pay no attention to her for, like, the rest of the evening and not do anything for her, then that's not feminism. That's performative. It's empty. My idea of feminism is giving back. I want to see your resources um, manifested in my life. I don't... that I that whole idea of feminism oh I'll just I'll like look really good for Instagram and then uh when someone when a woman tells me I'm doing something wrong then I'm gonna fight back no that's that's your own I guess kind of filter of what you think you should be doing you want an award you want me to clap for you and say well done um but no it's not it's not gonna happen because you're not you're not doing what I say. You're not doing what I think is right in my own eyes.
1: I think this is a good reminder for all of us who experience any kind of privilege, and you know, everyone experiences some form of privilege. We may have class privilege. We may have, uh, you know, we will have. We may have white privilege. We may have sex privilege. We may have uh, cis privilege. Yeah, there are there are degrees of privilege that we experience, and of course, you know, the the more disadvantages that you experience the more profound the oppression that you'll be forced to wade through in in life but for those of us who experience privilege and can enter a space and understand inherently and instinctively even if we are not consciously engaged with the reality of it instinctively understand ourselves to have some privilege in a space then we need to really begin to grapple with the reality of discomfort and uh i I think that and i say this because i know that the majority of people who listen to this podcast would be white women because that's the majority of my audience. It's just the mm. reality. And it's not enough for us, you know, if, if we can listen to this email and think, well, of course we can, we can see that he's, he's expecting to be catered to, whether or not he's coming from, you know, a good or a bad place or whatever. I mean, again, there's those two words. But, but there is some sense of the patriarchal privilege that he experiences rearing its head here unintentionally or not, that he expects somehow to be acknowledged and catered to, that we all, not you obviously, Laura, but, but mm. me and the white people who listen to this show, we all exercise that privilege as well in our own spaces. And these, particularly now, these are the perfect times, this is the perfect time for us to insist on asking ourselves those questions repeatedly and daily and also on having those conversations with each other and applying this same if we can understand this about him we need to be able to understand it about ourselves too
0: yeah absolutely i i totally agree with that and he we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable all of us Mm -hmm. especially white men especially white people in general get comfortable with being uncomfortable in this day and age you'll be confronted with ideas from people who are not who don't look like you that will challenge you it will make you uncomfortable you'll be like well who does she think she is that's the question you should be think- you should be asking, who does she think she is? She's a black woman. She's trying to tell you something about yourself and what you can do to be a better ally and what you can do to be a better feminist. And it's your job to listen. Mm. You wouldn't go to school and you wouldn't go and sit in like a uni lecture and be like, oh, but this professor is just saying absolute shite because you'd listen to them because they know what they're talking about. It's their area of expertise. Um, and the same applies for this. Mm.
1: Discomfort is actually a privilege in amongst the sea of yes. privileges that so many of us have. Discomfort is the privilege that we have to you know it's a privilege to feel uncomfortable and to use that discomfort to actually create change in yourself and change in your immediate environment and this insistence that so many of us have to kind of become defensive and put up our walls and say well i well you didn't say you didn't ask me nicely is fucking bullshit and yeah and it's got to, it's got to i mean and i'm not I say this as someone who i'm not positioning myself as like I've got all the answers and I'm a perfect anti-racist ally because I am absolutely not I am I am so far at the beginning of doing that work but I do know from I do know from the way that I've uh, talked about feminism over the years that discomfort is not something that we should be afraid of that it's it's discomfort is the thing that lives inside us that tells us we need to hear whatever it is that's making us uncomfortable
0: Yes, that's the warning sign. When you feel that discomfort in the pit of your stomach, that's actually your sign to do something about it. Your your intuition, your body is trying to tell you, hang on a minute, this is something I need to address. Maybe not just wallpaper over and ignore. Nice. Um, and that's, you need to follow it. You When you get confronted with discomfort you need to think okay what am I going to do about this and not just be like oh but they, they're they, wrong because like they're not agreeing with me they're not telling me what I want to hear because that's not how you're going to progress mm. in your journey mm.
1: So in conclusion to this little brother I do appreciate that you listen I hope that you have yeah. listened to the answer to this question with and you, and you really listened to it and that you'll go away and think about it and um, and absorb what it is that we've generously told you here. Um, and also that, as I said, you know, all of the white women who listen to this show will also ask those questions of ourselves when, when we feel that prickle of discomfort or, you know, agitation or, well, why is it, you know. The reaction that we have doesn't have to be the reaction that defines our behaviour. It, be, it can be the thing that prompts more questions in ourselves. Um, because we all yeah. have a responsibility to do that. You've been listening to the Big Sister Hotline, a weekly advice podcast that delivers no nonsense words with love from the kind of people you know have your back. Your Big Sisters. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, Google Podcasts and everywhere else you look for great content. And you can also listen to all the back episodes. Please, if you do like it, then consider rating and reviewing it because it helps to push the podcast out into other people's eyes and directions and I would I would truly love that. Uh, you can send your questions to bigsisterhotline at gmail.com and you can support the ongoing making of the podcast at my Patreon, which is www.patreon.com forward slash clementine Ford. My guest this week has been Laura from Loud Bossy Gross, an activist and all-round excellent human. Laura, what's up next for you?
0: I'm just going to keep doing me. (laughs) And I don't actually know what that means, but if I keep following that philosophy and that principle, I'm going to go the right way.
1: Do you have aspirations to one day make your own podcast, or make or write a book? Or
0: oh, I would love to write a book. I have so many ideas for a book. That is that is the current ultimate dream for me to write a book um, and to inspire people with it.
1: Well, if you are a, a British-based publisher, then uh, I think it's an excellent <laughs> opportunity you get to get in touch. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I'm still properly staggered by the fact that you're only 19 and yet so wise. <laughs> I wish that you had been around when I was 19, and uh, but I'm very, very glad that there are so many young and older women who are able to, I guess, absorb that... that uh, I don't want to use the word confidence because it can often be used in such a condescending way, but to absorb that fucking power and Mm. learn from it and, you know, be really, be really bolstered by what it is that you're doing. So thank you so much.
0: It's for everybody. I don't want, I don't want women to think that it's just for those kind of women, empowerment, self-love. It's for all of us. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Remember, there's no topic too thorny and no question too weird for the Big Sister Hotline. We're here for all the questions you don't want to ask your therapist, especially now that it has to be over Zoom. So contact us instead, the Big Sister Hotline. The phone lines are open. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?